You're listening to the Tri-State Community Church Podcast, a ministry of the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church located in the greater Pittsburgh metropolitan area. For more information, including service times, please visit us at facebook.com forward slash Tri-State Reformed Church. I think everyone's found their place. Romans 3, verse 27 to 31. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Who is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one. He will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Heavenly Father, we pray for your grace this morning as we seek to understand these words and make application of them to our lives. Father, we recognize that apart from you, we can do nothing. Certainly, uh, certainly not this. So, Father, we ask that you would you would be our teacher, that you would be our guide, Father. We need nothing of the opinions of men, nor do we need to hear the voice of a man this morning, Father. Now, what we need to hear is your voice, O Lord. We need to hear your truth. And Father, we ask that you'd be pleased to speak to each one of us, Father. Teach us to lead us and to guide us. In Jesus' precious name, amen and amen. Last week, we, as, we, as we've been continuing in our study in Romans, we delved into what is arguably the greatest paragraph that has ever been written. And you'll recall that I toyed with that as a, as a possible sermon title last week, the greatest paragraph that has ever been written. And you'll recall that leading up to this great paragraph, beginning all the way back in Romans chapter 1 and verse 18, that Paul has spent some 64 verses developing the awful mess that we have fallen into uh, as a result of the fall in Genesis 3. And it's a mess that is summarized, if you look at verse 10, it's a mess that's summarized very well by Romans 3.10, none is righteous, no, not one. You see those verses. Some of you have them committed to memory. And verse 23 Uh, serves the purpose as well. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Uh, These verses don't sound real nice, uh, but it's important that we understand them. Uh, And it's not only important that we understand them, it's important that we embrace them, uh, that we embrace wholeheartedly, that this is indeed descriptive of every one of us apart from Christ. And... uh, If this was the end of the story, as I said last week, the story would be hopeless. Uh, It would be hopeless. But the good news of the gospel is that it's not the end of the story, is it? And, And that's where our great paragraph comes in, isn't it? Beginning in verse 21. But now, those two words, I made a lot of those two words last week. Two simple words that it that in many other cases would be relatively inconsequential, but mean everything in this paragraph. But now, but now the righteousness of God has been made known apart from the law, though the law and the prophets bear witness to it. Okay, the bad news is none of us have the righteousness that's required 
to stand in God's presence. The bad news is none of us have the righteousness to be able to enter into his kingdom in and of ourselves. The good news is that now God has made known the righteousness of God and it's been made known apart from the law. In other words, the righteousness of God has been been made known apart from our personal performance of obeying God's laws. Uh, For some of you, maybe that's registering quite well. For some of us, maybe we're still lagging a little bit behind on that and that's okay. Uh, That's okay. Uh, But uh, I would encourage you to continue to keep tracking here. Um, how has God made these things known? Well, last week we said that he's made, he's made this known by way of the crucifixion of Jesus. I mean, because Jesus has suffered the penalty for the sins of his people, he's now able to offer forgiveness. Um, I remember as a child, and some of you have heard this story in, in Sunday school, asking a Sunday school teacher that, you know, why did Jesus have to die on the cross for our sins? And the Sunday school teacher said, well, you know, he, that was the only way. I said, well, well, and I wasn't trying to be a wise guy. I was just really trying to figure this out. Well, he's God, isn't he? And, and I remember saying, yes, he's God. I said, well, then why couldn't he just, like, why did he have to go through all that? You ever wonder that? Why does he have to go through all of that? Why couldn't he just say, hey, you know, uh, about all that stuff, forget it. Um, Fact is, he can't. It would violate his justice. But you see, the brilliance here, the brilliance here is he has satisfied his justice in Christ Jesus by by, uh, punishing Jesus in our place. And that leads to two, two words we looked at last week. Does anybody remember the two words that we focused on last week? Anybody, you can yell them out. The first one, this is why I review. The first one is redemption, right? And the second one, probably a little harder to remember for some of us, is propitiation. These two words, big long words, you know. Uh, It's important that we understand these words if we're going to understand the gospel. What is redemption? It simply means deliverance. It means deliverance. Our rebellion against God has enslaved us. You remember I talked about the word enslavement last week. We, today we talk about addiction, but the Bible generally refers to the same as enslavement. Um, we, our sin has enslaved us. Uh, by our rebellion against God, we've been enslaved. And to save us from this enslavement, God has sent us a deliverer or a redeemer, if you will. And by his death upon the cross, Jesus paid our ransom, as we sometimes sing what? Why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer. But this I know with all my heart. His wounds have paid my ransom. If I wonder what that word ransom is all about that we sing from time to time. That ransom is all about God's work in Christ Jesus as our redeemer. Redeeming slaves like you and me. And last week we saw that propitiation means to appease God's wrath. And as I said last week, you know, it's widely believed today that God doesn't get angry about anything except for the real, you know, the really bad stuff. Oh, he gets angry about that. But for the most part, he's he's not angry about anything. And 
And we've seen that that's nonsense. Paul's told us in several places, verse Romans 1.18, that the wrath of God is upon all unrighteousness. You know, even the little stuff that we think is inconsequential, um, that's uh, God is a God of justice and, and righteousness. The truth is, God gets very, very mad. Uh, R.C. Sproul used to tell his seminary students that man is very bad and God is very mad. Uh, that sounds like Sproul, doesn't it? Uh, it's something for us to keep in mind. The good news is that Christ has appeased or propitiated this anger on the cross. And as I said last week, what's Jesus doing on the cross? Well, all of our sins has brought God's wrath upon us. Remember, we were looking at John 3.36 along those lines. That the wrath of God is upon us. What does Jesus do? He pushes us aside, so to speak. And he steps right in our place. And he takes that just anger in our stead, doesn't he? And now the anger is appeased. And now the redemption is accomplished. The ransom is paid so that we can be forgiven. And what this great paragraph really is leading up to is to show God's righteousness. I mean, how can God declare guilty sinners like us righteous? How can he do that without compromising his justice? And the answer is by Jesus' death on the cross. Back to my childhood question, why did Jesus have to die on the cross? answer is so that God could offer us forgiveness without compromising his justice. He just simply, there are things that are impossible even for God to do. It's impossible for him to compromise his justice. It's brilliant, isn't it? I'll come in the person of Jesus Christ and I'll take the suffering. I'll take the penalty that you couldn't endure. And I'll do this in your place. It's brilliant. But it's also very costly, isn't it? Now, the question I want to begin to segue into, which will lead to our focus this morning, is how do guilty sinners take advantage of this salvation? I mean, is there a mountain we need to climb? Uh, Is there some high mountain that we should climb? Uh, Should we make a pilgrimage to India? Um, Is there some painful penitence that we need to embark on? Should we deny ourselves pleasure and join uh, a monastery or something similar to that? To that, to to all of these questions, we say no, 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 emphatically no. Because if you look at the text, you'll see that the answer is found right there in Romans 3.22, for instance. The answer is found in the great paragraph, the righteousness of God through what? Everybody say it. Through faith. Through faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. See, we, we can't save face here. This includes us. But verse 24, we're justified by what? By his grace as a gift. By his grace as a gift. And that that sets us up for verse 27, where Paul is now going to begin making application of this. He's going to do it, you'll notice, with a series of questions. And uh, in, in these questions and answers, Paul is going to introduce a few uh, topics that are indeed going to be the, the, the subject of chapter 4. So we're going to meet some of these things again. But Paul is telling us that we're saved not by our own efforts. We're saved by God's sheer mercy. Uh, so then he has a question. Then what becomes of our boasting? Then what becomes of our boasting? 
John Stott writes, quote, all human beings are inveterate boasters. All human beings are inveterate boasters. Boasting is the language of our fallen self-centeredness. That sounds like John Stott, doesn't it? I think it's interesting that he chooses the word inveterate. All human beings are inveterate boasters. If you look inveterate up in the dictionary, you'll discover that it means, quote, having a particular habit or activity that is long established and unlikely to change. Having a particular habit or activity that is long established. Well, when we survey the Bible, we see that boasting is indeed long established. If you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 4 and verse uh, 23 and 24, you read these words, Lamech said to his wives, Ad and Zillah, hear my voice, you wise of Lamech. Listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold and Lamech's, is 77-fold. You know the boasting in that? Or if we turn to 1 Samuel 17, you know the story of the Philistinian warrior Goliath. The Goliath is taunting the army of Israel and he says, quote, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. Or if we go to Isaiah 36, the king of Assyria sends his military official down uh, to speak to Hezekiah. And he says uh, to the people of Israel who are watching there, he says, beware lest Hezekiah mislead you by saying the Lord will deliver us. Has any of the gods of the nations delivered his land out of the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? Where are the gods of Sepharvim? Have they delivered Samaria out of my hand? Who among all the gods of these lands have delivered their lands out of my hand that the Lord should deliver Jerusalem out of my hand? Oh, there's some boasting words there, isn't there? Some of you know how that story turns out. If you, can, you can read about that this afternoon. In Daniel 4, we hear the language of boasting. You remember, uh, we studied Daniel a year or so ago, and King Nebuchadnezzar's walking on the palace of his roof. And um, uh, at the end of 12 months, we're told in verse 29, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, and the king answered and said, is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence for the glory of my majesty. See, here we boasting there, don't we? Great boasting. We turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we hear the language of boasting. One says, I follow Paul. Another says, I follow Apollos. This is just, this, this is just what I could come up with on my mind. And it's real quick, uh, you know, since then, as I've been reading scripture here and now, I mean, it's everywhere. It's everywhere, isn't it? It's everywhere. And, you know, we, we hear it all the time. It has such a familiar ring to it. In the church, we have our own sanctified version of it, by the way. If you could sanctify such stuff. Two men go into the temple to pray, a Pharisee and a tax collector. <laughs> Luke 18, 11 to 13 tells us the Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you. No, I thank you. I'm not like these other guys. No, they're extortioners. They're unjust. They're adulterers, even like this tax collector. No, I fast twice a week. You say me, Lord, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get, but the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. 
Uh, we've heard that many, many times. And you've, some of you have heard that from me many, many times. You know that when you know, uh, you know the good and the bad of that. And of course, we hear that. We say, well, we're not the Pharisee. We're the tax collector, right? Really? Perhaps we could put it in contemporary terms and we could put it like this. Four men went into the church to worship. One boasted, God, I thank you. I'm not like other other men. No, I'm reformed. Another boasted, Lord, I, I thank you that my church is not like other churches. No, no. My, my church is the only true New Testament church. Maybe a third would say, well, Lord, I thank you that our worship is not like the way the others worship. No, our worship is truly pleasing to you. Maybe another might say, well, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like all the other people. No, I've received more grace. I've received the second work or third work or fourth work of grace. Now, please don't misunderstand me here. Someone listening to this might say, hey, hey, man, Rick, preach it. You know, this divisive doctrine that divides us, preach it. I'm not talking about divisive doctrine. You guys all know better than that. What do we do every Sunday? We teach doctrine. Doctrine is important. We do it on Sunday mornings. We do it Wednesday nights. And we do it all through the week in between. Doctrine is important. I'm not referring to doctrine here. Uh, to, to say away with all this doctrine is both superficial and foolish. I'm not referring to that. I'm referring to, I'm referring to an attitude of superiority. You know, an attitude of superiority that expresses itself with boasting, even if it is very subtle boasting. You know, I mean, we can have, you know, this sermon can have all of the I's dotted and the T's crossed. And, and you know, I can stand here and I can just feel so superior to my brothers and sisters who believe in a different way than me. Um, that is the um, that is the issue I want to take up this morning. And, you know, when we. When this is the case, I mean, we can go into the workplace and think, or we can go onto social media and think that we're really, we're really doing a lot of ministry when, in essence, all we're really doing is picking arguments with people that we're trying to win. You know? Is there love in our engagements? Just a lot of ministry that's taken place is not winsome in any way. It's boasting and it's dreadfully irritating. It's dreadfully irritating. Other ways can be really subtle. I mean, we can come in here into a place like this with our attitudes and say, oh God, I thank you that we're not like the others. No, we're centered on Christ here. We're centered on God's word here. And of course, should we be centered on Christ here? I hope we'd all say amen to that, right? Should we be centered on God's word? Absolutely, but not with any. What we've got to be on our guards about is that we're doing this with, with even an inkling of superiority over someone else. And the reason I, I'm making so much of this is because it's everywhere, isn't it? I mean, this is an attitude, I think, that we're really trying to do everything in our culture to produce, isn't it? If you just stop and take a look at what's going on, I think uh, it's being produced in scholastic sports. It's being produced everywhere. Uh, everywhere. It's a desire to be better than the other guy. I mean, it's a desire that our children are better than everyone else's children. I mean, there's a saying that says, watch that don't go to your head. We've all heard that saying, haven't we? Well, it's popular for a reason. 
And it's because as soon as we start to believe that we're better than all the rest, and as soon as we start to believe that our children are better than others' children, it's done gone to our heads, hasn't it? It's done gone to our heads. And instead of becoming salt and light to this world, we become dreadfully irritating to it. We know it's wrong because we don't like to hear it. I mean, we don't like to hear people brag about themselves or their kids. I mean, if you want to clear the room, start bragging. And you ever people will clear. I mean, you, you just want to get out of there. Um, well, there's a story in the Gospels about the disciples in Mark chapter 10. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to Jesus and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Boy, there's a loaded one, huh? Teacher, we, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And, and Jesus, he's so gracious, isn't he? When you, when you hear him respond to these things, he's so gracious. He says, well, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. <laughs> okay, what is that all about? Well, two of them, wants to be exalted over the other ten. If you listen to verse 41, and when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant in James and John. Indignant's a pretty strong word, isn't it? What's their problem? What are they all worried about? Well, their problem is they want to be exalted. I think the attitude goes something like this. You know, we're all even here. You're not getting ahead of me. Be okay if I got ahead of you. But you ain't getting ahead of me. Right? If it can happen to the disciples, I mean, I don't think it's wrong of me to suggest it could happen to us, isn't it? After all, they had Jesus right in front of them. What I'm leading up to is this. You can't have community like this. I mean, we can't have kingdom fellowship like this. We must reject this. How do we reject this? Go look with me to verse 27. It teaches us how to reject this. What becomes of our boasting? What becomes of our boasting? Apostle says it's excluded. By what kind of law? By law of works? No, but by the law of faith. See, it's not on performance. It's not on performance. And Paul is wanting to drive some of the implications of this. He says, what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. You know, in the, in the Greek, in the original, it means it's shut out. That's what it literally means. We could translate this sentence, it is shut out. It is shut out. How is it shut out? Our verse answers by the law of faith. Now the word law is being used here in a sense of rule or principle. So uh, in other words, we could read it this way. What becomes of our boasting? It is shut out. By what kind of principle? By a principle of works? No, by the principle of faith. By principle of faith. And then verse 28, you see it just fits like a glove. For you're not justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or I'm sorry, we, we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Now, what Paul is saying to us really is this. We, I mean, we don't stand. Uh, we, we cannot stand in God's presence or enter into his kingdom based on our own personal achievements and our own personal merit. 
It's so hard to get that through our heads, isn't it? I think it's one of the hardest things to get through our heads because we can say, okay, okay, we got it. We see the verses, we have it in our heads, but then we, we leave a place like this and then we proceed to go through the rest of the week living as if it's not true, praying as if it's not true, acting as if it's not true. We cannot stand in God's presence based on our own merits. I mean, left to ourselves, we're lost. The good news is by faith, we can have the merits of Christ Jesus accredited to us. We can have the achievement of Christ's perfect righteousness and perfect life accredited to us. But what we need to be mindful of is that this accreditation is his merit, isn't it? It's his righteousness. It's his achievement. It doesn't, it's not our own. It was sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. I will not boast in anything, no gifts, no power, no wisdom. But I will boast in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. Justification by faith not only enables us to be right with God, but it also creates the environment that we can have Christian community in. That's the point that I'm trying to make this morning. If you look at verse 29... Apostle Paul, notice he's he's asking these questions again. He's asking them and he's answering them. He says, is God the God of Jews only? Is he not God of the Gentiles also? And some of you know quite well that the Jews enjoyed a really special privilege, didn't they? They were a chosen nation, the only nation that God chose uh, to himself and called his special people. The only nation upon which God gave his Uh, written revelation to. In other words, they are the only guys running around in the ancient world with a Bible. And that indeed does set them apart, doesn't it? Now, what Paul is up to is, is that if justification is by the principle of law, then only those who have the law and only those who are in the law are going to be able to be justified. So you're going to have this situation where only those who have the law can be justified. There's going to be a separation between the haves and the have-nots, isn't there? There's a dividing wall of separation there. But Paul asks, is is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of of the Gentiles also? This is absolutely brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. I mean, many of the ancient nations believed that each nation had their own gods. And we, as we, you know, as we're listening to the boast of the military official of the king of Assyria boasting, I mean, has any of the other gods been able to save their land from the king of Assyria? You know, there's that whole mindset that each nation has its own gods. Well, Paul realizes that the Jewish community doesn't believe that. They realize there's only one God who's God of the whole universe. Furthermore, it doesn't matter what Paul's going to say. Is say, listen, okay, if you're, if you're a Jew, the way of salvation is through faith. If you're not a Jew, the way of salvation is through faith. If you're a Jew, the way of salvation is through faith. If you're not a Jew, the way of salvation is what? It's through faith. And this is what Paul means if you look at verse 30. See what he's saying there? Since God is one, he will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised 
through faith. The words by and through are parallel. They're synonyms. They don't, there's no, don't try to distinguish a difference between them. The whole point here is the circumcised being the Jew, the uncircumcised being the rest. All are saved the same way. They're justified through faith. No one has any merit or achievement that they can point to. I mean, each stands on the merit and achievement of Christ. Now you see, that breaks down the wall. To use Paul's language in Ephesians, it breaks down the wall of hostility, doesn't it? And one, of the, one of the amazing things that caused a lot of people in the ancient world to take notice of Christianity was did, 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 did you go past the cafeteria the other day and did you happen to notice that uh, that uh, you know that that, that that Jewish fellow was uh, he was sitting at a table with uh, with that Roman fellow did you happen to notice that no well those two hate each other no, man, they've been spending a lot of time together I mean I'll tell you what they really look like they're enjoying each other's company I'm going to have to check that out. And as they checked it out, they discovered there was more than one. Did you happen to notice that those, those, uh, those African-Americans, you know, they were, they're, they're having lunch with the Swedes. Oh, you mean those Swedes, those guys, you know, really? Yeah. All these lines that are everywhere. Lines between Chester and Knoll. Lines between Liverpool and Wellsville. All these various lines, you see, they, they all come down. Because you know, the, the Chester people, they, they get saved the same way as the Knoll folks do. It's by justification. Through faith, I mean, it destroys, it destroys pride. Pride destroys fellowship. I mean, it separates us from God. God opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. But, wow. When we suddenly realize we have no achievements of our own, no merits of our own, well, that just, that just wipes out the pride, doesn't it? The problem is there's such a remnant left behind it. We've always got to wrestle with it, don't we? I mean... When it comes to God, we can't save face. I mean, if anyone's trying to save face with God, please, I would encourage you to quit it. You can't save face. God sees everything that goes on. He sees everything. He knows everything you're thinking. There isn't anything you're able to hide from Him. And the very best thing you could do is just come clean with it all and repent of it all. Don't allow that stuff to get between you and the Lord. That's all it'll do. Repent of it all. Come clean with it all. And... Um, um, Give up this prideful notion and humility. Receive the righteousness of Jesus. It's the only way we can come, isn't it? You know, no merit of my own, no righteousness of my own. Lord, I, I'm lost unless I get what you're offering me in Christ Jesus. My point this morning is that justification by faith also it not only gets us right with God, you see, but it also enables us to become right with each other. You see. It helps us to become right with each other. I mean, that worldly desire to want to be better than the other guy um, is not fitting for us. The worldly desire to want to upstage the other person it comes down. I mean, the worldly fear that someone else is going to get ahead of you. I mean, um, 
Hmm. It's all out the well. It's all by wayside. It's all by wayside. Justification through faith. Now we can enter in true kingdom fellowship with each other. You know, it's, as soon as we start admitting that, you know, I need Jesus just as bad as you do. And you need Jesus just as bad as I do. And uh, I'm in no way superior to you and you're in no way superior to me. We can truly love each other. I mean, we can truly re- rejoice in each other. And just before I close, I think I need to add this. Somebody could be listening to this and say, well, you know, it's, um, there's no real reason to strive for excellence then. You know, I mean, we want to make sure we're not trying to be better than the other guy. So there's no point in striving for excellence. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not, it's not what I'm saying. You know, I have a reminder that pops up on my, on my computer screen, this new computer we have, this Windows 10, you know, it's kind of neat. There's this thing that you can, so I'm behind most of you, but I think it's cool. And, you know, you can, you, you can type in reminders and they'll pop up whenever you want them to pop up and it'll remind you of things. And, and I have this reminder in my computer. Uh, it reads this way, quote, all of life is to be a life of worship, do all for the glory of God. And I have it set to come up at 6 a.m. in the morning. And the reason I have it set up for that time is because Tammy and I do our best to try to get started about a quarter after four in the morning, 4.30. And I'm already, I'm already been working for some time. And I want this thing to come up after I've been working. I don't want it to remind me, Rick, you're not trying to outdo anybody here. You're not trying to outpreach anybody. What you need to be doing is for the glory of God. And, you know, the, the thing's like an alarm clock. What's really, really cool is it's got this snooze button. And you can, you can set the snooze button to remind you in five minutes. You can set it to remind you in an hour or four hours or eight hours. Sometimes if I'm going to be at my computer for a while, I'll just click one hour. Remind me of that in an hour. Or if I'm not going to be away, if I'm going to be away from my computer for a while, so remind me of that in four hours. Why do I need reminded of that? I'm not saying that we shouldn't strive for excellence here. I think we should strive for excellence in everything that we do. What I'm, what I'm saying is, let's look at our motivations for doing so. You know, using preachers as an example, if my motivation is to preach some sermon that's going to blow away all the other preachers, well, that's worldly. That's ungodly. But if my motivation is to glorify God, which I can tell you that's what I'm trying to do right now is glorify God. Well, now we're on to something, you see. And we can put our hearts in trying to achieve excellence at it, can't we? And this, of course, uh, gets rid of this whole idea of trying to upstage the other guy or try to be better than the other guy or try to, in our minds, rise superior to the other guy. It's only possible by God's grace, but that grace is ours in Christ, isn't it? You know, when it permeates a church, when this kind of grace permeates a church, I mean, we're excited when the other person shines, aren't we? We're excited for them when they shine. We rejoice. We're excited when they receive compliments. We're we're in there giving them ourselves. We're excited for them when they reach excellence. We're excited when they get even when they get ahead of us. Even when their abilities outshine our own. I mean, 
you see that now some real fellowship can take place, can it? See, I'm bringing this message to you because we've been looking vertically and we need to look vertically because we're so prone to looking horizontally. But I thought, you know, let's take a minute and let's, let, let, let's spend a little time looking at the horizontal implications of, of, of this vertical justification by faith here. So may we pray for this grace uh, that will permeate us uh, more and more. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you and we praise you that, Lord, you are a God who is patient with us. You hear our boastings. Many of them are subtle. Some of them are we're not even aware of. Some of them are more. And we have moments, Father, when our boasting is much more uh, acute. And Father, uh, Lord, we thank you for your we thank you for your word, which instructs us. We thank you for our redeemer that sets us free from this. We thank you for Jesus who has propitiated your anger away from us, Father, that we, by his, by his merits and accomplishments, Father, we can stand in your presence and, and we are truly the objects of your, of your love and your desire. We, as the psalmist says, we are the apple of your eye. And Father, what wonderful patience you have for us, patiently instructing us and as we look at uh, uh, one chapter in the lives of the disciples, as they're jockeying over who's exalted over the other person. Well, Father, we can see ourselves in that. Uh, Father, we can see ourselves in that so well. And in varying degrees, not all of us are equally prone to this kind of thing, but some of us are really prone to this. We want to have all kind of initials after our names, and we want all these accolades, and we want all this stuff. And Well, Father, um, set us free from this, Lord. May we labor for your glory. May we labor for one another. Father, give us this grace, we pray, that our community would be enriched, that the watching world may go past and say, hey, did you notice uh, Did you notice this? Father, we pray you will truly be reflected. So Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.